not Good morning. Es- esteemed. Good morning. How are you? Hey. <laughs> good to talk to you, Tracy. Esteemed and esteemed. Yeah, we're going to do the good. We're going to do the good old British thing first and talk about your weather, which was serious. Well, it's funny. Can you hear the rain? Because I, I oh, can wow, hear yeah. the rain beating on things. It's. I. I just wondered about the sound quality. Yes, there, I but, can. I can um, hear it. It's, yeah, a little bit, right? It's raining kind of heavily, but uh, which is interesting because it's the anniversary of Superstorm Sandy. So, and so five years, five years after Sandy. Yeah. Are we prepared? Are we better prepared? Are we and ever we prepared? Are, basically. Well, yeah, well, we learned a big lesson from Superstorm Sandy and um, there's a big piece in the New York Times by Patrick McGean and Winnie Who mm-hmm. and they they talk about how the city's battered infrastructure has been repaired and improved but um, the really important resiliency measures are still years away and that's this term that I've been seeing everywhere um, resiliency stuff about this resiliency is the new buzzword and you know I, I would imagine this is also something relevant to you guys in hong kong because of your weather which is pretty interesting too it's kind of up and down yeah it's lovely right now but who yeah, knows well, you know. <laughs> right yeah so um yes it was october 29 2012 when this happened and it, it in terms of manhattan it shut the city down from Midtown South to the Financial District, the Wall Street area. Mm. And the city was in darkness for several days. Now, um, I have to say, my part of the city was not affected. And it was just, it had to do with um, the fact that I think we're a little bit higher up. Um, so as we got more north, the ground was also higher. Yeah. So, um and I was very impressed, speaking of resiliency, my friends from downtown, um, some of the things they came up with, you know, in order to in order to function during that period. Mm. Um, one of my girlfriends was walking around with a power strip. She lives downtown in, in the East Village, and she was walking around with a power strip going to her friend's homes uptown and plugging the power strip in in order oh. to recharge all of her... Um, all of her devices and things that she needs, her phone and so forth. Tracy, let me ask you a question. Do you think that since September the 11th, we just, you are just more prepared in general anyway, or more, I don't know, alert, as they like to say on the announcements? Well, it's true that September 11th meant that psychologically this wasn't, you know, maybe we were psychologically a little bit, yeah, we weren't as naive. On the other hand, September 11th was this one big flash of uh, violence and then the aftermath of cleaning up after it. Whereas this was, this storm was, well, it was weather, so it's different from things that people create. And so it it was a different kind of experience. And you never knew when it, you know, it just, it wasn't this one quick thing. You know, you know, Um, they they call it a force majeure, I believe. Um, And of course, you guys have had some pretty extreme weather one way and another over the past year. So I'm assuming that, I mean, it's not just you and your friends. I'm assuming that people like the fire guys and the paramedics, they're all, they've all gone up two or three gears. Well, they have. And it's amazing. It's actually remarkable how devastated the city was Mm. and how i mean the subway system didn't work you know and and was flooded i mean i just read something about 13 billion uh uh, 
uh, I, I can't remember what the unit was, with tons of water um, flooding into the system. Um, the it's, it's astonishing how quickly the city has been able to recover in the parts of town that are visible and central and mm-hmm. that you would see if you're visiting from Hong Kong. But unfortunately, in other parts of the city, for example, we have 400 um, social housing uh, units, social housing like developments, right? Yeah. And um, in those parts of the city, we haven't seen – so 400 public housing buildings, which are operated – by the New York City Housing Authority, and that's something that was created in 1934. Um, in those housing units, it's been really difficult, and it doesn't get the kind of headlines, you know, that say Wall Street is going to get. Nor does it get the attention, and they're not as visible hmm. when you come to visit. So, uh, a lot of the people who live there are quite heartbroken, and they feel justifiably a little bit abandoned. Um, although efforts are certainly being made, but it's just taken a lot longer there. So they didn't start being able to tap into the federal relief aid until two years ago. So, you know, so there are things that have been taking way too long from the point of view of the residents. And um, each site is built a little differently. Because they were built at different times in the history of the city. So it's not a one-size-fits-all fix that engineers, people, designers have to go in there and look at each um, social housing development and see each social housing. Um, I, w- I wonder, Tracy, if very often more, more damage will happen in our so-called modern society, because I'm looking through a list of hurricanes, for instance, that goes through history in New York. And as crazy as it sounds, I wonder if they would have been able to cope better before uh, electricity, for instance. Well, I think that would be romanticizing the past. I wonder, I say. I really <laughs> well, I, yeah, you wonder. Well, I think a lot of people died uh, and didn't expect yeah. to live as long. You know, there was always that. Um, but it's important for people to, to realize, even though America is viewed as this very uh, a city, a, a, I'm sorry, a country that is not very kind to the working poor and so mm. forth, um, I just want to point out that somebody in this New York Times article grew up in the Coney Island houses in Brooklyn, the public housing, and said, this used to be beautiful, and now it's disgusting, and it hurts me because I grew up here. Yeah. So, you know, these are buildings where people have taken pride in the fact that this is their home and so forth. And, you know, you don't have to be a homeowner to have a sense of ownership of your home. So, yeah. you know, these guys feel... They, they feel neglected. And um, it's, it's quite interesting. Bellevue Hospital, which is one of our main Manhattan hospitals, mm. uh, received a billion dollars in federal aid, but um, it is privately run, so we don't know. Uh, yet how they've spent that money actually i think i've answered my own question because there would have been equal devastation in history but just in a different way all the shanties and ramshackle places rookeries whatever you call them that that so it's it swings and roundabouts isn't it what what to to your knowledge was the real extent of sandy then what was the real you know if you were to abc it if you like uh you know it's i don't really look at it that way i guess i feel that the city can survive anything (laughs) you know it 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 made you realize 
how much depends on um, you can't really plan for things. A lot of it depends on luck. My neighborhood was it was protected, but you know we're actually. I thought it was interesting. Some of the people who were quite well to do had had um, uh, damage because they have very nice places with great big windows mm. facing, you know, the riverfront, and people who were more in the middle of the economic ladder of the city sometimes did better because, for example, my neighborhood has um, some of the lowest rents in the city, some of the most rent-regulated apartments, but we just happened to be on this little kind of hilly thing. So, you know, it's a lot of middle-income people in my neighborhood. We weren't – we're not the well-to-do people, but the people who are – you know, so the people at the two extremes of the economic situation of New York, I felt – I, I kind of noticed that those people were more affected. Yeah, well, I mean, taking us on to more about preparation, I suppose, there's a new bill that could make the cops more transparent, but I'm sure there are tons of layers to that one. So this is very interesting. Um, there's a bill called the Right to Know Act, and it is supported by 200 different organizations, including the New York Civil Liberties Union and many council members, and it has it is pretty widely acknowledged. I mean, for example, it's supported by like all the main unions of the city, the trade unions, um, the healthcare workers union. It's you know it's it's acknowledged that if the bill came up for a vote, mm. it would pass. And it's a bill that basically requires police officers to, officers to identify themselves and explain what they're doing and get a business card <laughs> what, because you what, what shouldn't. A concept. <laughs> Right, and so it's about having transparent policing. Um, the interesting thing is it hasn't come up for a vote because the House, the sorry, not the House, the Council Speaker, Melissa Mark Viverito, um, has made a backroom deal with the police commissioner. Mm-hmm. And uh, she claims that, you know, they have guidelines, but those are not laws you know we would a lot of people would prefer that this be written into law and not just be sort of at the whim you know but the the thing is tracy law or no law i mean you always hear the cop side of the story when they say i had no choice i had to pull my weapon and he's not going to stop and do procedure if he has to pull his weapon is he well yes there's also the reason this bill came into existence is um in 2014 this came up actually so they've been trying to get this passed for a while and it, it has to do with the fact that eric garner uh was tackled and smothered to death by some police officers on staten island mm. in new york in 2014 now in fact he was killed because the police officer did something that he was not even supposed to do okay well he that, was constrained that, from doing this by the patrol guide but so the point is that in the heat of the moment it is hard for police officers to even follow their own rules that yeah. they have agreed to follow and that they have created because chokeholds are forbidden um so so you know having some laws as opposed to just kind of vague guidelines might be helpful um and i would also say that transparency in policing I'm going to go a little Pollyanna here and say transparency in policing is a good idea. It is a good idea for the police, too, because then you will have a citizenry that actually trusts the police and wants to 
work with them in a constructive way rather than running away from them well, because they just never know, you know. There are so many videos floating around. You know exactly the ones I'm talking about. So maybe, you know, a, a small victories, shall we say, it's a start. It's, you know, well, it's not a victory yet. We're trying to get this to come to the vote. So we're working on that, and it has a it has a deadline. And, you know, it's just the New York Times has supported this very vociferously. Mm. And I'm hoping that it will come to a vote because, yeah, it's the kind of sensible law that would pass if it, you know, we're, we're a pretty progressive city. <laughs> and it's just, it's a city thing. It's not a New York State law. It would not necessarily pass in New York State, but it will locally probably all right well let's see what happens there i think we should wrap up we should wrap up today with a bit of culture tracy something to go and see well at the museum of the city of new york there are two interesting exhibits one is called beyond suffrage that that's a topic that will interest you guys universal suffrage um a century of new york women in politics and it starts with women fighting for the vote in new york and then goes into you know 100 years on other kinds of activism and politics. And that's interesting because there's another exhibit at the same museum, the Museum of the City of New York, and it's called New York City at its Core. Mm -hmm. And the themes are money, density, diversity, and creativity. And some of the big personalities explored are Alexander Hamilton, Walt Whitman. That was the poet Bill Clinton liked so much when he was uh, courting Monica Lewinsky. He gave her Walt Whitman's poetry. Probably, um, probably, and- probably to people outside America, the most famous poet. I mean, arguably, everybody's heard of Leaves of Grass and stuff like that. That's the poem he gave her. And Emma Goldman, um, a very interesting anarchist, uh, quite well-known outside of the U.S. as well. And I mention her because in connection with the century of New York women in politics, she was in New York lady um but she was against the suffragette movement she felt that it wasn't radical enough Hmm. um so you know but at a time in history when uh when voting rights are really under attack in the u.s um we're looking at that a little differently we i think we really appreciate the idea of universal suffrage now all right then where, where and when is this on people want to find out more it's 400 years of New York City history. It's at Fifth Avenue and 103rd Street in Manhattan. And I will put the link on your Facebook page. It's called the Museum of the City of New York, okay. New York at its core. Okay, Tracy. Well, that's always lovely talking to you, and we'll do it next Monday morning.